We might be too young to have a spotted cow, but we are both diehard Packers fans. I could talk about this for hours. He was my legend. He was my quarterback one. Taysom Hill, forever in my heart. We have a kind of a reputation of being the young, the young diehard fans. How is that, Dr. Pepper Taysom? Amazing. Hey, good. Let's keep it under 25 minutes, all right? Welcome back to the Underage Packers Podcast. This is episode 71. This is Joey. I, as I'm always joined by my great co-host wearing his Cheesehead TV merch and the new training camp hat, Big B. How are you feeling today? Feeling pretty good. Excited for training camp. I have to ask you, like I asked our friend Aaron Nagler the other day, on a scale to one, on from one to Yash Nyman, how excited are you for camp? Man. I'll say a nine right now. Just a very unvariable skill. I don't know what the highest answer is on that scale, but it exists. Uh, so joining us today uh, for a very special episode of the Underage Packers podcast as we preview training camp, uh, we are officially cutting down the ribbon for season two of the Underage Packers podcast. It was nice enough to come back again. It's a miracle. Please welcome to the show, Wes Hockwitz. How are you today, Wes? I'm good, buddy. The The miracle part is a little heavy, though. You thought that it was going to be that hard of a stretch to get me back on here? Yeah, I can't believe after the first <laughs> time you you wanted to, to <laughs> use your time on this. No, no, it's happy to be back. Uh, I, You know, to be honest with you, it seems like, quite honestly, it feels like yesterday we were talking. I mean, this offseason, it always goes by fast. But if you'd tell me we're already six months removed from the NFC Championship game and just how quickly time has passed here, uh, it's it's remarkable. But here we are, right back in 2021, the season's staring right in our faces. Yep, there's uh, there's been plenty of things to keep Packers fans on their toes this offseason. Um, with some big news today, Rodgers has signed his contract <laughs> with the Packers. Mari <laughs> Rodgers uh, finally getting his rookie deal done. Um Big B, uh, there's not too much to be said. Pretty standard uh, third-round rookie. But uh, Mari Rogers, are you going to be looking anything special with him uh, at training camp, specifically with special teams, um, uh, with Amari Rogers this offseason? Well, I'm very excited to see what he does in the special teams, and I'm also excited to see how many roles, I guess you would say, he has in the offense. Mm-hmm. Definitely that wildcat piece I guess yeah. you, I think I used that right. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, kind of a Tyler Irvin guy that Matt Fleur has used quite often, has found some guys to, uh, after Tyler Irvin got injured, uh, Aaron Jones early in the season. And the offense was a lot more efficient with Tyler Irvin in the offense last year. So hopefully Amari Rogers can be even more of an upgrade uh, from that. Um, branching off some to some other players, Wes, is there anyone specifically – uh, you're looking forward to seeing at this training camp, man. There's so many, dude. Uh, you know, that's the cool thing about the direction this offense and defense have gone is there's so many young guys that are ascending. So, I mean, just to throw out a couple names, I mean, seeing what Rashawn Gary did last year with a little uptick in snaps, I think this year you're going to see his workload go up even higher. And I think there's going to be packages that Joe Barry is going to be able to come up with to get him and the Smith brothers on the field together. I think they're really going to be able to capitalize on Zadarius's versatility because quite honestly, man, you guys saw it too last year. I just think the way that Gary was playing, especially down the stretch of the season, whether it was not just the pass rushing, but just the way he defended the run, um, how game he was with, you know, his conditioning and he was ready for as big of a role as the Packers could give him. So I think you're going to see that go another step, 
But really, it's going to come down to those skilled position players on offense. I just think the Packers have a litany of them, probably more than I ever recall during my time on the beat. I'm not saying that you know they're as deep as they were in 2011 with receivers and tight ends, but when you look at the fact that you bring in Amari Rodgers and you get Devin Funches back and you have all these different types of body types at the receiver position, oh, and then by the way, you have a four-time Pro Bowler, now arguably the best receiver in the game, Devontae Adams leading that position group in addition to Aaron Jones returning, Robert Tunyon breaking out the way he did last year, Mercedes Lewis. They just have so many weapons that they can utilize, and you would hope that it'll be Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, but regardless of how that situation unfolds, it's just it is an embarrassment of riches right now for whoever does you know go line up under center for Green Bay. Yeah, you talk about those endless off, uh, offensive weapons. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Josiah DeGuara yeah. Uh, got injured uh, week four of last year and early in the season, once again, like try, Tyler Irvin, he had a lot of uh, quite a bit of involvement with Matt Lewis offense, uh, especially for a rookie. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how he has progressed in his injury uh, rehab and then hopefully getting involved uh, once again. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Joe Barry, uh, West. What are some players you talked about Zadarius Smith maybe lining up at some other spots of the defensive line? Uh, but what are some more players specifically that you think uh, might most benefit from this new scheme? Well, I can't wait to see what he does with the cornerbacks. You know, Jair Alexander is 24 years old. He's at the peak of his powers. I still think he has be- his best football still ahead of him. I think there's a lot of room for him to still grow. But I, I think you look at what the Rams did last year with Jalen Ramsey and the multitude of ways that Jair could be used, whether it's just as a strict, you know, shutdown cornerback where he's just following the best guy in the field at all times, which is something that Mike Pettin didn't like to do quite a bit. At least they didn't do that very often uh, the last two seasons. So whether it's that and traveling Alexander Moore, just seeing how these young cornerbacks adjust and adapt to what Barry wants to do. I actually wrote our position by position story that I'll be posting on Monday uh, and there's four guys now that were top 50 picks at the cornerback position for green Bay five. If you want to include Darnell Savage in that at safety. So they've put a ton of resources into that position here, the last three seasons and seeing some of the fruits of that labor, they were seventh in passing last year. Certainly the takeaways were up. The passes defense were up. If you get the pass rush going the way they want, they get the bounce back season they're looking for from Preston Smith. I really feel like the Packers have a really nice balance there in terms of the pressure that they can generate and the opportunities that could present themselves on the back end. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of groups that benefit off of each other. Uh, The pass rush obviously benefiting the secondary, uh, just getting to the quarterback quicker. And uh, one player that I'm really excited for, and Joe Barry's defense specifically, uh, Darnell Savage, um, yeah. the pack, the Rams last year, going off of Brandy, Brandon Staley, branching off of Vic Fangio. Uh, they used a lot moving their safeties, John Johnson, a plethora of other guys, moving them up to the defensive line, uh, moving them all over the field. And uh, Mike Pettin, even Mike Pettin, uh, was willing to use uh, Darnell Savage for stability. So I'm really excited uh, to see what he can uh, offer in Joe Barry's defense. Uh, let's get to some com- some of the camp battles that we will be uh, definitely watching here at training camp. Um, I do have to announce, me and Big B will be there at training camp August 9th through there you go that week. Um, we will be charging $5 for signatures, uh, $10 for um, pictures. So make sure you, you have bring your 8x10s. Yeah, somebody's got to uh, pay the bills around here. So. <laughs> 
Um, some of the camp battles here, uh, quarterback number one, which will be really interesting, really hard to say right now. But Big B, regardless of what happens, uh, if it's Jordan Love or if it's Aaron Rodgers, whoever shows up, uh, how do you think these other guys that play out the Packers have signed multitude of guys, Kurt Binkert, uh, the legendary uh, Blake Bortles, Jake Dalagala. Uh, out of those three guys, do you think any of them make the roster? I don't see see uh, more than two making the roster, but I definitely can see like Kurt Benkert making the practice squad definitely this year if he does have a great camp, which I think he does because he has the hair already. So, I mean, yeah. he's already a, a lock for the practice squad. So, yeah, I, I only see two making the uh, official 53-man roster. Yeah, if we're in Green Bay and we don't see Kurt Benkert riding on a skateboard at least once, I – I, I want a refund from somebody. Um, <laughs> Big B, now you got another camp battle here. Uh, let's hear it. Don't ring up Jamal Williams too much. Don't get too reminiscent. Okay. I'll, try to, I'll try to simmer down a bit. But okay. they did lose Jamal Williams, and they did draft A.J. Dillon. So now we have a running back number three spot wide open. Some guys are – Kylan Hill, who we just drafted, Dexter Williams, who is pretty much off the roster right now because I think we all know. And Patrick Taylor, the undrafted undrafted free agent last year who didn't see much – well, he didn't see any playing time last year, and he got hurt, I think. I don't know when he got hurt. Don't remember. But it will definitely be very interesting to see who gets that running back number three spot. Yeah, Wes, you've watched more training camps than us. So what do you think it really comes down to with these guys? So, um, how much does the other uh, skills that they can possess factor into this, like their uh, pass protection, special teams, and whatnot? Yeah, special teams is going to be huge for that number three running back role and who emerges there. Certainly look at even A.J. Dillon last year. He did his, you know, his own amount of special teams work, and certainly Jamal Williams, as Big B is well familiar with, uh, was basically almost a four-core special teams player. I mean, he's going to go down as is one of the most uh, consistent and imprudent, you know, players that I covered at that position. Considering what he offered offensively, didn't fumble in four years, uh, but also could return if they needed him to. He could block in the posse back on kickoff returns, and you know, could even be a personnel protector on punts. So he offered them a lot of versatility that they're going to miss there. So AJ Dillon has to pick up some of that slack. But the guy I'm really excited to see though is Patrick Taylor. And, and you guys here, when you get there August 9th, you're going to see him. Patrick Taylor looks to me like a more filled out version of James Starks. He's about six foot two. He is a man among boys out there. I mean, you can see why the Packers really like this guy coming out of Memphis. Unfortunately for him, it was that weird list Frank type foot injury he had. It wiped him out for pretty much all of his last season in Memphis and then kept him out of practice through almost December. So now he's healthy. He was out there during the off season program and it's a three horse race there right now with them being Mike Weber. So Seeing which guy emerges there is going to be really interesting to watch. And be honest with you, as much attention has been thrown on, you know, the quarterback situation with Rodgers and, and Love and everything around that orbit, the Packers went in a span of 28 days and acquired three really interesting quarterbacks, whether it's Blake Bortles trying to get his career back on track, whether it's Kirk Benkert, who's actually was with Matt Schaub. He, he was in that offense with Matt Ryan. That's some two players that Matt LaFleur is very familiar with from his time in Atlanta. Trust what the development was there certainly has a very affable personality that we've seen a lot of. 
And Jake Delagala, guys, six foot seven, 247 pounds. Ow. If he would ever find his way onto the Packers roster, he would be tied for the tallest quarterback in team <laughs> history. So it isn't your typical undrafted rookie that they signed a Tim Boyle, a Taysom Hill, a Joe Callahan, but there's three guys there that are entrenched in a really interesting battle for what will either be the, either be the number two or, or number three quarterback position. Uh, did Cliff Crystal give you that tidbit on uh, the tallest quarterback? I looked that up myself, believe it oh, or not. Wow. I actually did the research. I was like, there's a six foot seven, 242 pound quarterback in camp. I got to see where this guy actually ranks in the, the team annals, but he's, He's a tall drink of water. And, uh, you know, my first impressions, I only got to see him for a couple of days, but, you know, seems to have a live arm. I really was impressed with Ben Kurt. And it's not just the hair. It's not just the flash. It's not the video games. The guy has a live arm. And you can see why Atlanta invested as much time as they did into him the last three years and, and why Green Bay was quick to pick him up and take a look, you know, when he did come available here after the draft. Yeah, I'm hoping the best for uh, Ben Kurt. And, yeah, it is really an interesting mix and group of backup quarterbacks at that position. Uh, as far as running back goes, I do think Kylan Hill has the best chance. Um, but Patrick Taylor, I really like Mike Weber, maybe only because he was very good in Madden franchise. Um, but fortunately, he's no longer on the roster. Um, moving on to the wide receivers here. Uh, Another interesting group of guys behind the three obvious ones, really Devontae Adams, uh, Marquez Valdez, Stantley, now Lazard. You have Devin Funches, Equinemia uh, St. Brown, Malik Taylor, and Juwan Winfrey. Uh, now, Wes, we've heard quite a bit about the past two off seasons about Juwan um, really shining in mini camp whenever you got the opportunity. Um, what have you seen from Winfrey so far? Had a nice camp. I uh, made couple of the biggest plays of the entire offseason program, at least during the portions of practice that were open to the media, you know, with the, the decision that the receivers made, the veteran receivers made where they weren't at OTAs, um, whatever all that played into it, uh, Winfrey was a guy who maximized his snaps with the first team offense. And certainly at the end of minicamp there had that nice 50 yard catch from Jordan Love and what was, you know, Love's best practice, in my opinion, uh, and again, in one that was available to the media. So uh, I was really impressed with them. Has some versatility there. Could play inside, can, you know, can run the boundary a little bit. But the thing that I like the most about this receiver group is it's kind of an a la carte sort of situation right now for the Packers. Certainly Devontae Adams is going to be on the field 97% of your plays offensively. So there's four other skill position players you got to get on the field. Green Bay for a number of years there basically kept the same prototype for the type of receiver they were looking for. Six foot four. 200 pounds fast. They mixed it up a little bit now. Now, Funchess certainly is a guy, again, that fans will see is very physically imposing, has a good track record there. Obviously, he's been a good locker room guy throughout the course of his career. I enjoyed talking to him in the one Zoom we had with him. Seems to have a really interesting personality. But the wild card is Amari Rogers because I think the table is set for him to be able to make that year one impact like Randall Cobb made in 2011. There's going to be packages for him. They need that jet motion aspect of that offense. The offense was not the same when they couldn't do it. And obviously you want to be able to have Aaron Jones in the backfield as often as possible. So I think Rogers is really the linchpin and then seeing how they move the rest of those pieces. Alan Lazard's back. Marcus Valdez Scantling had a nice season last year. A lot of guys that are going to be competing for a handful of positions and roles in this offense. And, Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, a couple jobs as well. Yeah, Big B, what do you think of the the guys like EQ um, specifically who, uh, and there's a plethora of different guys, not specifically just at wide receiver, 
but this training camp is going to be really big for them. Uh, EQ coming up on his fourth year of his contract. Uh, he still has a lot to prove. Uh, Josh Jackson, uh, what are you looking at for some of those guys? Uh, maybe list a few more uh, that you think really have to prove a lot this upcoming camp. Um, well, another guy is Orm Burks, who, man, I don't even know what's happening with him at this point. I feel like he always, he's always injured. He's a guy I definitely want to see step up a bit this off season. And, man, I really hope EQ gets it together. He was, wasn't he hurt last year? I don't yeah, he had a, a season, season uh, injury, kept him out all of 2019, I believe. And he kind of dealt with the knee last year then, too, with a couple games sidelining him. So, yeah, yeah, he's, that's been one of the big things. Yeah, so hopefully he can stay injured. I definitely – Stay healthy, you mean? <laughs> he said, I hope he can stay injured. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> I guess uh, we just uh, missed a chance for EQ to ever come on the show. <laughs> Sorry, EQ. I love you. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot of other guys, uh, specifically one uh, big B at the tight end three position. Uh, what do you think of some of those guys? Uh, Jace Sternberger, um, who has a two-game suspension, I think this year is going to be really big for him. Uh, how do you think that's all going to play out between him, Dominique Daphne, um, and then Josiah DeGuar, who plays kind of a different role. Yeah, well, um, Daphne and DeGuara has kind of a different role in the offense than Jay Sternberger. But with his two-game suspension, of course, that leaves like pretty much a free roster spot on the roster. And I'm excited to see what um, Daphne does this offseason because I don't – he was not with the team last year, right, Wes? That's correct. Yep find him later in the year and I'm I'm just excited to see I'm a big Dom Daphne fans so yep. went from um where was he He's Indiana uh bouncing at a club and now here he is <laughs> on the Packers uh cornerback moving over to the defensive side of things uh cornerback two is going to be a really fun one to watch uh Kevin Keene coming off not uh the best game against Tampa Bay a lot of fans are certainly not in his favor at this point the Packers uh, getting Eric Stokes in pick, at pick 29 in the first round of this year. Um, what did you see from Stokes? Obviously, uh, obviously it's going to take some time for him to adapt. Uh, but do you think he can possibly uh, take over that cornerback two opposite of uh, Jair Alexander uh, pretty early on in the season, Wes? Well, and if you follow what the Packers have done, going back to Ted Thompson, and it's a, a principle that Brian Gutekunst has also uh, kind of stayed in the business of, which is never leaving yourself really short at any position. So if you bring back a veteran and you draft a player, you hope that that young player will push the veteran. You saw it with Devon House when he came back, and you know they also picked up you know Jair Alexander, Tremont Williams came back. Those type of moves are things they'd like to do because – it gives you an established veteran that knows the defense that know that's comfortable with the people around them, but it also gives you a long-term piece. And it's worked out really well for green Bay over the years at a number of different positions. The one thing, because that's probably one of the most popular questions we've gotten in inbox this off season is, do you think Eric Stokes will start week one? Well, historically, if you go back over the last 10 years, the odds are not in his favor there. Casey Hayward did not start week one. Jared Bush did back in 2012. You know, you know, I had Demarius Randall kind of broke that trend a little bit and played quite a bit his rookie year, but that was almost a little bit out of need. And then even, you know, Jair Alexander was 
playing in basically the nickel and dime when he got drafted in 2018. Now, the nice thing is, I think as Stokes develops, there's enough opportunity with how often you see sub packages out there for him to be able to get on the field. What the Packers have to figure out this training camp is, okay, what is Jair Alexander's primary responsibilities? Where do we want him playing? This is the ace in our hole. Where does he need to fit into our deck of cards, right? So once you figure that out, then you start figuring out the personnel because there's, I look at that as just a wide open competition throughout the secondary right now until we see differently. Now, you know, right now it's going to be Shandon Sullivan in the nickel. You're going to have Kevin King outside. You might end up seeing Will Redmond as that dime guy, but where does Josh Jackson and, and Eric Stokes and John Charles, where do they fit in? Where could they potentially push for playing time? That's what I want to see. I think it's going to be a proving ground for them in the training camp and being able to show what they can do and to push for a roster spot. Because at the end of the day, you need six defensive backs. That's just the way this game is played nowadays. And with injuries and everything of that nature, you want to be able to be versatile with how you move your, your parts. And much like the offensive line, I think the secondary, specifically that cornerback room, there's a lot of different directions they can go with that first domino, of course, being where Jair Alexander's lining up. Sure. And uh, with Stokes, uh, before we get to our last uh, camp battle here at Big B, which is probably the most exciting of them all, uh, is there a specific lo- rookie uh, you are going to have your eyes on uh, this training camp, Big B? Well, on the defensive side, anyways, it's um, Shamar Jean Charles. I really am curious to see where he would fit in if he's going to get to play this year, which I really hope he does. Mm-hmm. But I, re- I really liked him when we drafted him for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> um, so that's my boy. That's pretty much trying to say here. I'm uh I'm really looking forward to seeing uh Jadarrell Slayton. Just real not even see how he plays, just to see a man of that size in real life is going to be remarkable. Um, he is he is a skyscraper. Like it, there's a few people I always because people always ask that question, like who's the, who are the guys that like kind of like wowed you when you saw them in person? And it's usually like a three person race. It's Julius Peppers is just one of the most incredible human beings and specimens I've ever witnessed. And Martellus Bennett, just for his, you know, his height and his size, Mercedes Lewis fits into that too. I've seen a lot of defensive linemen over the years and they come in all shapes and sizes, but TJ Slayton, man, like if they can get, you know, he's, he's a raw prospect, but if they can get him playing at a high level, get his weight where it needs to be, where they want it to be. Uh, this guy has all the potential in the world. I mean, his athleticism is off the charts for a guy that's six foot five, 330 pounds or whatever he is. It's remarkable uh, what he's able to do, whether it's basketball or just on the field. And the other thing to keep in mind too, when you watch him in training camp, he had a 10 yard dash speed, which is just crazy for a guy, his size. He has very good quick twitch. He has that explosiveness. And when you're looking at guys in day three, you're looking for guys that have a trait and that's definitely the trait for TJ Slayton. Well, uh, hopefully he can really free up a lot of stuff for Kenny Clark, uh, give Kenny some rest, hopefully uh, free Kenny from some uh, injuries and just make everything easier for Kenny Clark. Uh, two big guys on the defensive line. Big B, how about you tell us about the most exciting camp battle of the century? All right. I don't even know how to introduce this one. So I'm just going to have Wes just talk about it. The long snapper battle. <laughs> We need to hear about this. Was the build up for the long? You know that my favorite thing about the long snapper battle, and I haven't been a part of many of them, Uh but okay, especially during the off season program when there's 
there's not doing a whole lot of like drills for the special teams, you know, the specialists. So what you ultimately get is you get two guys. I almost said Rick Lovato there, but in Joe Fortunato and Hunter Bradley, the two guys competing with each other for basically one job, just snap into each other during practice. That's like what they do. It's like, that's, you just, you just go and snap with the other snapper. Uh, I'll say this. Now the NFL mandated that you're going to have a bunch of cuts here coming up. I don't like it, but it's the direction they went there. Now you have a cut to 85 after the first preseason game. You have another cut after the second preseason game to 80 Packers have six specialists right now. So I'm curious how long they stick with six, but for as long as they're there, I've never seen anything like this where the Packers have had six guys on their 90 man roster of all of these specialists. So um, Spoff wrote the our position by position preview for that. Um, I think, if you would ask me three months ago, I thought the odds were probably long that you would see all three of the guys that are competing for a role still be here. Cause usually a guy falls off because you need to add somebody Packers are really dedicated to this though, whether it's taking some snaps off of Mason Crosby's leg or, you know, having Ryan Winslow and Fortunato compete with, uh, you know, JK Scott and, and Hunter Bradley, it's, it, you never really know what to make a spe- you know, long snapping competitions. It's, there's not a big stat you can point to, but Certainly that's going to be one thing that we're going to have to track. So it'll be an interesting experience. I could see your face as we were building up to You're like, am I missing something? I was like, okay, so inside linebacker, we're going to talk about here, or, you know, maybe go back to the receivers again for a second or, or offensive line. No, let's bring up the long snapper. It's the long snappers. I'm, that, that's going to be so intriguing. You know what it was? This is what it was, Joey. It was when uh, you're playing. It's like the you guys know who Zach Granke is. You, you young enough, old enough, you know who Zach Granke is. Either one of you, Zach Granke. So. He's a pitcher, played for the Brewers. He was a part of the NFCS team. Okay, good. Oh, I don't watch baseball. Zach so. Granke has an interesting little quirk. He's an excellent Cy Young winning pitcher, but every once in a while he'll he'll tune down the fastball and he'll throw like a 50 mile an hour like lob pitch. That's what that was. That was the 50 mile hour lob pitch going with the long snapper. I like it. All the build up for that. Uh, <laughs> we are talking to Wes Hockowitz of Packers.com. That's the first time I have remembered to do our halfway. Uh, remember who it is. So very proud of myself. Um, at mini camp uh, this year, um, speaking of the offensive line, uh, David Bakhtiari, he had a season ending uh, injury uh, just before this season ended. Um, how do you think, uh, I guess, what did you see? Could you see much from his rehab, his recovery process uh, that would uh, indicate to you when he might make a return? Well, I'll tell you this, uh, and this goes back to DeGuara too. We walked in for the first OTA practice of the spring. You're never really sure what to think, um, especially guys coming off injuries like Dave was New Year's Eve or what New Year's Day, whatever it was that he tore the ACL. And I think he said it was January 4th that he had the surgery. I wasn't expecting to see David Bakhtiari that first day of practice. And what happens is we're all standing by the doors, got to get the, you know, same shot we always get of everybody coming out so we can put our social accounts and get likes and tweets and whatever have you not really providing much of a service other than, Hey, it's players, (laughs) but we get done. And then out comes, as I tweeted, the stallion, that comes zipping through the doors at the very end. And it was David Bakhtiari. And, and I'm not saying he was sprinting or anything like that, but he's running um, at a pretty good clip. And he goes down to, you know, his area of the field and he's working with Nate. We are one of the, the trainers. And, you know, 
I guess I should have expected that. I've seen some of the videos of him. I know what kind of, you know, work ethic he has and how diligent he has. And he also has a lot of great resources too, whether it is this training staff, whether it is David, or I should say Brian Balaga, who's, you know, had two ACL injuries. There's a lot of people that he turned to. So it, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise that, that he was out there doing what he was doing. Same thing with Josiah DeGuara going out and wearing a helmet the first day he goes out there and he wasn't practicing. But just to be able to see those guys make it back, these used to be injuries, Joey, where, you know, a guy tears his ACL, you're wondering, okay, am I going to see him again in eight months, nine months, you know, and, and here they are now five, six months out there doing what they're doing. So uh, I don't know when Bakhtiari is going to be back. I'm guessing it'll probably be a situation where he feels like he's ready to go and the Packers are going to have to just wait to make sure that they, you know, he's, he's a future hall of famer right now. I mean, he's the best left, left tackle in the game. And when you, when you see how he plays that position and the ease with which he does it, uh, you gain a, you know, a better appreciation for what this guy brings to this football team and what he brings to the national football league. So uh, we'll see exactly where it shuffles out. The nice thing for green Bay, you have Elton Jenkins there. I thought he played his butt off last year at left tackle a position that he really hadn't repped that much showed his versatility to the max. And as long as you have a player like that available to you, I just, I, you know, you want to get Bakhtiari back the sooner, the better, but the Packers have enough, you know, kind of like life preservers here to, to be able to get through however many weeks they need to before Bakhtiari's back. Speaking of that big B, who do you think uh, specifically starts at left tackle uh, if Bakhtiari is not available, and then, you know, if it's Elton Jenkins, who are they sliding over to left guard? Uh, how do you think that whole O-line arrangement looks for uh, the time being without David? Well, it, I think it's definitely going to be Elton Jenkins at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I think um, John Runyon will be the left guard and Ben Braden might make a push for that. You never know. Yep. Um, then of course, Myers, Patrick and Turner will start on the right side. So that's how I see that plan out. Okay. Yeah, I definitely do see, I love Billy Turner and his versatility. And like Wes mentioned, they have plenty of guys that have shown they can play a lot of positions along the line. Uh, that's enough boring football talk though, before we sign off. I have something very excited planned that I thought of this morning. It's not even in our script. Wes, oh. uh, are you still a believer? Because I, I noticed it's not in your bio anymore that Cecil Isbell uh, belongs <laughs> to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hey, I always switch this up, right? Because, you know, you got to keep it fresh on the bio. I don't like having it where it's it gets stale and it's like, hey, I'm a Green Bay Press Gazette reporter, even though I haven't worked there for five years. So I got to keep this thing moving. I love that you asked that question, though. You know right to get me in the heart yeah. there, Joey. So Here, Here's a couple things. Save your, save your uh, speech here because we're going to play a game. So, Big B, oh. you're going to present Jamal Williams for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you guys are going to pretend like you're Pete Doherty making his uh, presentation for Leroy Butler every year. I'm going to be the great decider to decide who goes into the Hall of Fame. So, Wes, it looks like you're ready to give your impassioned uh, delivery, so let's hear it. So just for the record, as I get my thoughts together, this will be, I'm sure, the first time in recorded history where you're going to have a game where one of the participants is putting down an argument for Cecil Isabel to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and the other one is putting down an argument for Jamal Williams. I just want to make sure I have that clear. I think this. I think you can put it in the record books. Okay, all right. I, I feel pretty confident saying we're the first ones that are doing that. Here's my argument about Cecil Isabel, and it's very important for me as a side note to make this argument, because I think when they made the centennial class, 
the whole objective of that was to honor players from the pre hall of fame era. They did that to some extent, Bobby Dylan obviously got enshrinement, but they also use it as sort of shoehorning in some other people that probably should have been already in from the more recent eras. Cecil Isabel was a big oversight in terms of the pro football hall of fame. And they'll tell you why as good as, you know, Arnie Herber was. And, and a lot of these guys, Isabel was the one that sort of picked up that mantle. And the only reason that he's not a household name with Packer fans is because after 1942 in an age where guys weren't making a lot of money playing football, he basically stepped away. And I've heard some, I think some of the stuff I've read either was from Cliff or some other sources was a, a factor with his family, with his wife. And he ended up becoming a, a football coach instead. That didn't actually go the greatest for him. But as a quarterback, as the quarterback started to blossom in that era, the guy threw 24 touchdown passes in 1942. To give you a comparison to that, it took 40 years, guys. How old are you guys now? 13, 12? What, what do we got? 16 and uh, 15, I believe. 16 and 15. There's 31 years between you. You'd have to go find another nine-year-old down on Velp Avenue to be able to have enough like years lived here to properly represent how many years it took for Lynn Dickey to break the single season touchdown pass record that Cecil Isbell had. If he would have played three, two, three, four more seasons, if he'd won another championship, I think Cecil Isabel would be a guy that would have been in the conversation who has his number retired. He would have been a guy that people would be talking about to this day. He only really played five seasons though. That's why he doesn't get that proper respect mm. in my lifetime. I don't know if it'll happen in cliffs or not, but in my lifetime, I really hope that we, we write that wrong. Because I think if you talk to Cliff, if you talk to people that know this team, the real true historians of it, they will tell you that Cecil Isbell was a football player and this team's illustrious history, along with Vern Llewellyn, that doesn't get the proper amount of respect he does because of the era in which he played. Wow. Very great points made. Uh, learned a lot more than legacy taught me. Um, but Big B, let's hear the argument now for uh, running back uh, Jamal Williams. All right. So started out, the man hasn't fumbled in four years in his entire NFL career. That should already put him in the Hall of Fame. But, mm -hmm. you know, he has the dance moves. He, he can go up <laughs> on that stage, jiggle a little bit, if you know what I mean. Like, that's, uh, that's already more entertainment than the entire Hall of Fame speech in the past 10 years combined. All right. The man has tons of versatility, playing everywhere. He could probably play defense if he wanted to. That's my argument. Thank you. That's it. We're done. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. If I had, if I had like ten more minutes, I could probably think of something better. But oh man, I love it, dude. That's awesome. He's this, got the dance moves. I'm sure that's exactly like very similar to what Pete Doherty says about. <laughs> I can Butler, see it coming I out of like. Pete's mouth. I can see those exact words coming out of Pete's mouth as he stands in front of those 49 other people <laughs> laying down the argument. I'm sure he's just everybody. He's so well respected uh, <laughs> for his dance arguments. All right, so that's Big B's argument. I have think who is going to get the golden jacket. It's pretty difficult here. <laughs> I, I think I have to go with Wes. Uh, with and Cecil, Cecil Isabel is finally going into the underage Packers Hall of Fame. Um, we'll get we'll him next time. Don't worry. We'll get him next Hey, time. there's always next year. Just ask Leroy Butler, right? So exactly. there's always next year. It was a convincing argument, Big B. It's just sometimes the, the stats, they're just, they're, they're just a little too heavy, you know? Yep. This is oh – Big B is going to probably argue this is almost as much of an atrocity as John Lynch getting into the Hall of Fame before 
Butler, but uh, Cecil Isabel, the first member of the Underage Packers Hall of Fame, and uh, I'll, I'll stand with the argument for the Pro Football Hall of Fame now. All right, let's wrap it up here, uh, Big B, with uh, two questions uh, about roster construction, and then uh, we'll end it off. All right, so there's always the handful of under-the-radar guys to make the roster, so who's a few players that are under the radar that can make the roster this year? It's a good question. Obviously, there's always one. Last year was Chris Barnes, who I think came out of just absolutely nowhere. Um, I will say, though, he was the player that I wrote my feature on at the end of uh, rookie minicamp or whatever. I always end up doing a story on an undrafted guy. If you look at it, it's a pretty good track record, if I do say so myself. But I don't think a lot of people saw him being the key communicator for this defense. This year, there's a number of them. I think it actually starts with what I said before with Patrick Taylor. I'm very interested to watch him work. I think the preseason is going to be huge for all three of those young backs, Kylan Hill, and also Dexter Williams, who came back a lot leaner. It looks like he put a lot of work in this offseason. And that guy that falls in that number three role, that's going to be a position that plays, so it's very important. And, you know, you look at the way this defense is constructed, I think there's always going to be an opportunity for, like, a Christian Uphoff you know, a guy that was a six foot three playmaker at Illinois State. He returned kickoffs for them. He's a guy I've had my eye on. I think you got KB on Ento coming back now. He was injured for most of last year. He's been with the team for two years here, but I think he's a guy that gives them a lot of opportunity as well. And then ultimately, it's going to end up coming down to some of these guys holding serve, the Dominic Daphne's of the world, showing that, yeah, I latched onto the roster last year, but I'm going to stay here. I get, This is my position now. I'm going to find my way back onto this 53-man roster. It's always exciting to see those because sometimes the guys that you least expect are the ones that end up making the biggest impact. So um, I, I think the way, you know, they didn't sign a, a multitude of undrafted rookies like they have in previous years. I think a lot of that had to do with the number of guys that went back to college because of the whole pandemic. But, but certainly those are, those are a couple of names that sort of come off the top of my head and, and guys that could potentially factor into this thing. I will say this too. I mentioned all those, you know, the, the Smith bros and Rashawn Gary, in order to be as versatile as they want with those guys, they're going to need a fourth guy to emerge there too. They do have a multitude of guys coming back at that position with experience from last year. John Garvin being one of them, the seventh round pick from last year. Randy Ramsey was a guy that really was a big special teams contributor, could potentially be that number four guy. So uh, I, I think you're going to end up, at the end of the day, I bet you end up seeing you know, another three, four of these undrafted free agents, whether it be last year's class or guys coming in this year, that'll make a run at a roster spot and, and maybe surprise a few people. I don't know if he'll uh, make the roster, but I'm really excited to see maybe get a shot on the practice squad. Uh, Bailey Gaither um, might not be pronouncing that right. He had a big play uh, on Kevin Keene sometime this camp. Very fast guy from San Diego, San Diego State, uh, home of James Jones. Um yeah. How, how fast was he in camp, Wes? Yeah, he was he was really fast. San Jose State, just to make sure we get that. Oh. But I know I know what you're saying. Uh, yes, extremely fast. Uh, a little bit of a slender build, which is sometimes what you expect from guys coming from that level. The thing about Gaither is he was a six-year guy at San Jose State. He had a medical red shirt in addition to his regular red shirt. He played all the way through it. So uh, he's a little bit older than your typical undrafted rookie. But again, like I mentioned earlier with Winfrey, there's these guys that got snaps during the OT. OTAs that you typically wouldn't have seen uh, because of the, the five, six veteran guys that have been back at receiver made the most of them. And again, I, I just, I think from one to 10, 
uh, seeing how the Packers mix and match that personnel throughout camp and into the preseason uh, is going to be really fun to watch. And certainly Gaither really definitely fits into that as well. Yeah, he'll, he'll definitely have his work cut out for him to make the practice squad uh, with all those wide receivers we mentioned earlier, but I'd really love uh, to see him get a chance. Um, Big B, any random undrafted guys that will probably make it onto our name that Packer show in 10 years? <laughs> well, one one guy that just randomly just popped in my head is Willington Prevalon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, was, I think he was an outside linebacker and they moved him to D-line right D, D line but yeah no he's a little bit he's like 287 he's not your typical like 320 pound dude yeah yeah not okay. 287 not that big yeah yeah exactly coming from the 169 pound staff writer here <laughs> yeah so that's just this one guy that i'm curious to see how he does this year all right yeah it'll definitely be interesting a big group of guys not as much this year in the undrafted free agent class um but we'll end it off. We'll just go around round table here with our breakout player for this year. Last year, a lot of them, uh, Robert Tunyon, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. This year, I'm going, I think MVS going to have another great year, but I'm going uh, with Rashawn Gary, and I think he's going to establish himself as a lead pass rusher like Z. Um, Wes, who is your guy for this year? Yeah, it has to be A.J. Dillon. And I know a lot of fans have been asking about, okay, how many snaps is he going to play? I'm sure they all are thinking about their fantasy football team. But uh, how many snaps is he going to play? What is his role going to be? The last three years, Jamal Williams averaged 115 carries per season. He had a lot of catches mixed in there as well. His snap totals, they need to be able to replicate that. They need to be able to, to have a guy step up into that role. And with so many young guys at running back, it makes sense that it's Dylan. I just feel like he's going to be the perfect complement to the way that Aaron Jones runs. The Packers, if you follow the way they did it last year, they liked using Jones early and they liked using him late. I think Dylan's the type of guy that can wear a team down before halftime and get them going again after the break. So uh, he's the guy I have my eye on. And again, we'll see how everything shuffles out with quarterback. There's so many questions that have to get answered there, but whether it is Rodgers or whether it is Jordan Love, those two running backs are going to make their life so much easier as far as the signal caller is concerned. I think, you know, when you look at the way that this offense is constructed, the Mike Shanahan, you know, sort of West Coast style that that Kyle's used and Mike, Sean McVay and obviously now Matt LaFleur, it is predicated on the run. And there has been a renaissance with the ground game in Green Bay here the last two years. And I think A.J. Dillon's going to be able to keep carrying that torch. Yeah, it will be really interesting because last year, uh, Jamal williams Ligo was – uh, was in front of him, but now he's got a year in the system, and I hope we can see more of uh, what he flashed week 16 against it, Tennessee. Let me throw this out there, too. That year with Jamal Williams is important because more so than any other guy that the Packers have drafted in the backfield, Jamal Williams is pretty ready-made to play at this level. Uh, it just so happened that he happened to be in the same draft class as Aaron Jones, but I've said for a long time, and this isn't just a – to appease big B over there, but Jamal Williams could have been an every down back for green Bay. If that's the way the situation would have unfolded, this is a guy that could pass block from day one. He could catch the ball out of the backfield. And as we've talked about numerous times now, never put the ball on the grass. So that, that those are big lessons that Eric, that AJ Dillon learned last year behind him and Aaron Jones. I think that's really going to benefit him. And for a guy that carried the ball as much as he did at Boston college, I don't think it necessarily was a terrible thing that he only touched it 89 times or whatever it was last year allow him to get in this season. He's comfortable in the offense, certainly with all the COVID stuff last year, kind of interrupting things and the way he finished the year against the Titans. I think the arrow is definitely pointing up there. 
you have late great Ted Thompson. One of his uh, last uh, late round gifts to us was the duo of Jamal Williams and uh, Aaron Jones. Uh, Big B, who are your uh, big breakout players for this upcoming season? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Chris Barnes. He had a hell of a rookie year, definitely, and he didn't even make the roster to even start it out. So just coming in and playing like a monster in his rookie year, I can just see him getting so much better this year. Yeah, he's finally solidified on the team. I mean, yeah, he was on the practice squad, and then they used their one-game elevation on him for week one, and the rest is history. Um, that's all we got for you today, Wes. Big B, any final thoughts? Um, Just love all the Jamal Williams talk today. It just makes me <laughs> so happy. <laughs> Wes, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was fun. I'm excited for this season. I, like I said before, I can't believe this is year 10 for me now already now on the Packers beat. So just seeing how the landscape has changed. We're talking on this medium now, too, as opposed to back in 2012 when it was like, hey, we get to do chats like on the computer on like AOL. You know, like it's the, the evolution of Packers coverage. It's never ending. And I, I very much appreciate you guys bringing me on today. No problem. We look forward uh, to seeing you at camp. I think we'll give you a discount on our autograph charges. I would really appreciate that. I'll bring my own Sharpie. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Make sure you uh, follow West if you're not already subscribed to this YouTube channel. and Follow us on all the social medias. And we'll see you later. As always, go Pack Go.